Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Montana to Portugal's podcast. Today, I am here with Jen B. from the Substack Jen's World, and I am super excited about this conversation. We have been chatting about having this conversation for a couple of weeks. She was one of the first people that I thought of when I was thinking about who to interview on this podcast. Because she has done so much traveling, I love her writing. She's got a unique view on the world, and she's been to Portugal I, quite a bit, maybe. Um, so, well, I'll get into that here in a minute, but let me just read real quick. Uh, Jen's description of herself on Substack, which is, she is a chocolate devotee, a minimalist traveler, a cyclist, a wanderer, a bibliophile, which I am too, a word nerd, and big fan of the Oxford comma. Yay! <laughs> we have so much in common. Um, I don't know if you ever read that book, Eats, Shoots, and Leaves. It, oh, it's one of my favorite grammar books. So, Jen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. Or I should say, oh, bon, yes, dia. bon dia. Bon dia. So, tell us a little bit about your Substack. First of all, uh, I've been reading it for uh, quite a while, maybe almost a year. I mean, I got on Substack last July, so you were one of the first people I think I found. Tell me how long you've been writing there. Not long. I, I've, I had a blog um, for a long time elsewhere, and it stopped working for me, um, so I deleted it. And, um, and I was using social media for microblogging, as it were. And last year, after my husband and I started getting very serious about thinking about moving to Portugal, I mean, we'd been thinking about it for a while. Um, I, we came back from our trip last year and I started following, uh, various expats on Instagram and I decided to try Substack and found quite a few expats there, started following that. And then around that time, I wanted to reboot, reboot my blog that I'd been ha unhappy with and give it new life. So I took my travel posts and exported them over to Substack, reworked them, deleted some, updated some and launched last year just not talking about like this is how I planned this trip and this was our itinerary and we went here and we did that you know any, you can look at any guidebook for that but talking more about little slices of life um, I talk a lot about misadventures because I think it's important to show that travel is a very real thing it's not as glamorous as uh, some people might make it out to be on social media with their beautiful filters and perfectly curated outfits. Um, so I, I tell a lot of stories that often cast my own foibles into the light. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I love your writing so much is that it's unexpected. It's the, the things that you, the, sort of the underbelly of travel in the sense that it's like the things that you you want to know about travel but you often don't hear of because nobody, yeah, everybody wants to make it super beautiful and the dream life, so to speak. And your last post, I just read it actually this morning. I loved it about laundry, doing laundry. <laughs> That's actually the first of a series because, you know, laundry is a thing when one travels. And if our, my husband my, and I, our, our adult offspring, we're all minimalist travelers. We pack very light um, and so that means we have to do laundry as we go. And, you know, that's a logistic 
that people need to know about. So there is pretty much almost always when I share photos on Instagram, photos at least once during a trip of something that's going on with laundry. That's that's amazing. You're right. It, laundry is a big deal. And you have to think carefully when you're a minimalist packer, I am too, about what it is that you're going to take and what would happen if that thing got ruined. It might be a really big deal if that thing got ruined in the washer. So I was reading your story, which I won't totally ruin it for listeners. You should go list, go read it. But there's the adventures of trying to figure out a new machine in a different country with a different language are pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's another post I wrote about trying to figure out a coffee pot or coffee maker in Amsterdam, jet lagged first thing in the morning. I don't even think I had found my glasses and ending up texting I posted something on Instagram and a girlfriend in New Zealand texted me and said, oh, I have that. That's how you do it. And then like 30 minutes later, someone in England was like, oh, here's what you need to know. And then someone in Canada and then someone in California and then someone in Hawaii. So, you know, within an hour and a half, I had women all over the world helping a sister oh, out. That's great. I should have thought of that when I was in I, when I was on the Shetland Islands. Uh, we had a dishwasher that I could not figure out for the life of me. And Doug was so somewhere else. Maybe he was sleeping or in the shower or something. And normally I'm, I'm like, okay, help me figure this out. And I kind of lean on him to do those things. And I thought I had to like tell myself, you can do this. You can be smart enough to figure this out. Like, And then I found the manual. Unfortunately, it was in English. So I semi figured it out from the manual but I was so proud of myself after I'm like wow this is a life moment a life achievement moment you just figured out a dishwasher in another country yeah yeah uh my husband absolutely hates hand washing dishes just can't stand it so to be quite honest the dishwasher is going to be if we yeah. have one one of the first things we figure out when we're in another country, because we usually stay in an apartment or a house. Right. Yeah, we we often do too, uh, in part because I have a lot of food sensitivities, and so we like to cook for ourselves a lot of times, at least until I kind of figure out the the food issues, <laughs> the food places that I can that I can where I can eat. So that helps a lot. So I'm curious. I know you've done so much traveling and I want to know more about all of it, but how did you get started traveling and how did that become a part of your life? Well, I, I didn't really grow up traveling in the way that you're thinking of. Uh, my, my parents had very modest financial means. So for us, a trip was one week in the summer when all the kids were out of school and it was a driving trip. Um, and you know, we'd drive to see family and stay with them, or we would, um, they would carefully save money, uh, for maybe a beach trip or something. And so it wasn't, I met my husband when we were undergraduates and, um, we did driving trips and some train travel just a little bit up and down the East coast, uh, when we were in undergrads and we took our, f he had traveled a bit, quite a bit more than I had, um, growing up. Uh, there was just much more of a culture of that in his family. And um, in, when we were 26 or 27, 
we took our first trip abroad together. And it was um, precipitated by we were going to Estonia for a wedding. Um, and this was really not that many years after um, the Soviet Union had collapsed and was no longer, uh, you know, part of, you know, Estonia was, you know, its own country again. And my brother-in-law was in the Peace Corps in Estonia and met his future wife there. And so we thought, okay, well, we're going to go to Estonia. If we're going to fly across the ocean, let's just, uh, let's add to this. Let's make it a super trip. So we flew to England and Scotland for my first real foray into life abroad made so many mistakes with packing I cannot even tell you um that's that's a whole post that I should write um went to Estonia came back and of course we had the bug and um but it really wasn't until I would say early in the 2000s when our children were young like elementary school that we we started taking them to Canada we took them on their first uh transatlantic flight in 2008 um and then um, my husband's mother died, and, and it was very unexpected. And you know, the estate took a year to settle, and we came into a small amount of money. And I thought we were going to do something really responsible, like pay down the mortgage. And he said, you know, really, what I want to do is set this aside as a travel fund and start living now out these experiences with our kids, because one day they're going to be off of college and then living on their own. And let's make these memories now. So from about, I don't know, 2008 to right up to the pandemic, we were traveling with them spring break, uh, maybe Thanksgiving week, uh, maybe after Christmas. And we had a couple of years there where we'd get in three or four major trips. And my husband and I at the time both worked um, at the local university who has very generous PTO. So we had a lot of PTO that we could use. And so it just kind of went from there. Oh. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. And it's funny because uh, my parents were also of modest means and were my dad's a rancher, a cattle rancher. And so we always had um, cattle and animals to take care of. So leaving was not usually feasible. So for my vacations were like ranching conventions where we had a swimming pool in the hotel and family reunions, which were like two to three day events at some sort of regional hotel with a nice beach or, you know, some sort of swimming for the kids type of thing. So, no, we and my dad's not my my mom loves to travel, but my dad is like a let's sit down and talk through the wills before we get on a plane type of <laughs> Wow. Here's where the life insurance is. Here's where the will is. <laughs> yeah. So they didn't start traveling until actually after I was in college and, and now they, they have sort of yeah. annual trips that they do. But I understand what you mean. And I love that your husband said, let's use this money now to make memories because there's that school of thought of, yes, let's do the responsible thing. We're going to have all that. We're going to make sure our retirement is taken care of and you know, the kids don't have to take care of us during retirement. And yet there's a real downside to waiting because our health may not be the way that we want it to be. And we lose that time potentially when, especially when kids are in that exploratory phase. So I love that you guys did that. And also a pandemic could shut down yeah. the world. You just yeah, don't you know. You just don't know. That's right. <laughs> that really messed up our travel plans for a couple of years. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> 
Um, so I know that you love Portugal, or you and and you've been there. I don't know how much. So can you tell us a little bit about how those travels have gone for you, and um, more about that? Well, we, of course, Portugal is very hot and in the news now, but. Um, in the 2000s, we started kind of toying around with the idea of um, living abroad once we, our children were adults. Actually, at one point, we were talking about uh, moving and then, you know, raising them in another country, and then um, we didn't. And, uh, but in the, I'd say in the 2010s, we started really looking at which countries were great for expats in terms of ease of visas and um, immigration policies and so forth. And we started looking at the countries that had what we were looking for in terms of a slower pace of life, the type of weather we were interested in, um, not too expensive, you know, we, we definitely have yeah. a budget. And um, we started circling around and around on um, Spain and Portugal. And in 2018, we went to Spain for the first time. We were only in Barcelona. We were celebrating my husband's 50th birthday. Um, and we loved Spain. We loved Barcelona. We don't want to live in Barcelona, but we were intrigued by Spain. And the next year in 2019, about six months before everything shut down, we went to Portugal for the first time and fell in love. I just fell in love. It's just, I mean, of course it's beautiful. The people are nice. Um, the food is to die for the port, the other wines, uh, the architecture and the art and the urban art. And it was just really, it was just so dreamy. And and I say that understanding it, that I'm looking at it through the lens of someone who's on vacation and that's not daily life. And I'm, and I'm very cognizant of, I'm not going to decide to move to a country because I visited it once and it was ter terrific. And so we made plans to go back in 2020, did not happen. And um, so we started talking about in 21, okay, we'll go to Spain and Portugal again. Uh, that trip got canceled by the Delta wave. <laughs> so finally, in early 22, we went back to, to Portugal. And by that point, we had been reading and researching for a, a year and a half, um, almost two years, and had honed in on the areas that we thought might be most interesting to us to live in, um, that would be what we felt most comfortable with. And so in that trip a year, a little over a year ago, we focused hard on the silver coast, uh, in particular, I, I will say we just love Porto in general. So we flew up to Porto first and messed around and just reveled in the fact that, uh, you know, we were in Portugal again, finally, and then went down to the um, silver coast and spent, I don't know, maybe 10 days just, you know, exploring here and there and the other where, and loved it, went back and ended the trip in Lisbon just because, you know, you got to end a trip in Lisbon and came home and really thought, okay, we think we have found our area. And then we spent the next year uh, messing around with real estate listings and just looking. And then we were just back this past February into March for a month. Um, we stayed in one town in particular for two weeks because we think it might be our place. And um, we, I mean, and when I tell you we research a place, we're not just looking at real estate listings. I'm following various discussion groups on Facebook and elsewhere and talking to expats. And so help me, 
checking the weather forecast every couple of days because um, summer weather is very important to me. Um, I don't want to live in a place that's like Virginia in the summer, which is very hot and quite humid. Um, so anyway, um, so now that we've been there only three times, we're feeling much more comfortable about the idea of moving there. We think this is not some phase that we've been in for four years. Uh, we are we're pretty convinced that this, this is the place for us. Yay. I love that story. Uh, you went and you're a researcher. I have another subscriber who is doing Portuguese language with me and she is a phenomenal researcher. She's given me like mm -hmm. maps of for climate change and which places mm -hmm. are going to be flooded and which places might have fire. And I, mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, I didn't even get to that depth of research, but like, <laughs> yeah, we you have, have. <laughs> we have <laughs> um, also snakes. I really, really hate oh. snakes. Um, and my husband did the research for me to make sure that I'm not going to be like tripping over copperheads or water moccasins or, you know, pythons or cobras. Yeah. Um, and that's actually another funny story I think I'm going to have to write a blog post about because there was a, a snake story about Portugal recently that was turned out to not be what we thought it was. Yes, I can't wait to read that. I can't wait to read that. <laughs> I have to say the horrifying story about Portugal that I've heard and and I and I I love Portugal obviously I'm I'm deeply in love as well however I have a friend here in this little tiny town of 500 people I found a woman who whose son moved from Washington state to Lisbon he met a woman online and they got married and a Portuguese woman yeah I know and uh he moved there and he wrote to her one day and he said, mom, you'll never believe this. The whole city is covered with cockroaches because they poisoned, like they had to poison the sewer system and they all came up and like, <laughs> <I was> like <laughs> okay, I'm not going to Lisbon on that day. Whatever day of the year that is, I think he said it was twice a year. <laughs> I will not be going. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm I'm horrified. Although I am grateful, it's not snakes. Yes, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Mine is more spiders issue, but um, that's part of why when we were looking at places, I'm like, I'm not sure I could do Costa Rica or Panama. I can't. I don't know that I could deal with a spider as big as my hand. It's uh, you know, I can barely can deal with the spider as big as my thumbnail. So. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little speechless over that story. How do you think about it? <laughs> I, know, I was like, I almost researched it, and then I went, I'm not going to re even research this. I don't even want that on my Google feed. I just, yeah, it's, uh, it's mm -mm. just going to be there. Okay, hopefully I will miss it. Uh, but like you, uh, Silver Coast is really appealing to me, and I feel like because it's such a nice climate, although a little bit windy from what I understand, which is fine. I mean, I'm used to wind but uh, not you know, nearly as hot as the southern part of Portugal and not as raw and cold as they say the northern Portugal is. Although certainly um, Braga sounds just, the photos look amazing and-, and It's beautiful, yeah. highly recommend yeah. visiting. So are you willing to share some of your, the, the places that you're thinking about or you wanna keep that on the down low for yourself? Um, oh, no. I mean, we don't, I need to preface this by saying we don't have specific plans. We don't have a timeline yet because uh, 
we are still kind of figuring out, you know, the finances yeah. of it, of course. And, you know, are we taking our jobs abroad? We think we are. Um, but and we have to sell a house in Virginia. Yeah. Um, we cannot own two properties. Yeah. Um, so we think we're probably two years out. It could be longer. Maybe it'll be less. We don't know. So anyway, having said that, what we were looking for is we live in a college town of about 40,000 people. And so what we were looking for is something, uh, first of all, there's the weather we talked about. Um, so cool breezes, we really like, we love ocean views. Um, we needed something large enough to have kind of what we need on the day to day. And really, you know, the lockdown of 2020 showed us that we would need to be somewhere walking distance to the grocery store, for example. Um, and um, we don't need the full cultural spectrum because we can go to other parts of Portugal for that. So, you know, we're on, we're on the Silver Coast and we just started considering kind of, you know, all the way down, Nazaré, San Martino de Porto, Salir de, um, sorry, San Martino, sorry. Um, we talked about Foz do Aurelio, we talked about Peniche, and, you know, some of the, those are all tourist places. You know, you've got to think about the beach, but ultimately right now we feel very good about Nazaré because it does have a long-standing historical living daily community um, that, th that thrives even without the tourists. And we know the neighborhoods that we like that are a little away from um, you know, the Praia, the main Praia. So that's what we're leaning toward. And so we stayed there for two weeks this year and we're thinking about the next time we go, staying from taking our laptops, working remotely and staying more like six or eight weeks to really settle in and work, go to the grocery store, you know, just live life that way. Yeah, get that get that sense of how the rhythm of the place flows and Right. Right now the rhythm feels very yeah. good. Just on a day to day I get up, I go to the market, get what I want for breakfast, you know, for something some sort of fresh pastry from the bakery, pick up some coffee, uh, sit down, work on my laptop. You know, that felt that felt right. Um, the town feels very good. It's not too big. It's not too small. I mean, we love Foz do Aurelio. But the town itself is very, very small, and we don't, and we would want to live with the residents and not in the touristy yeah. areas. And that's when we rent an apartment or a house when we travel, we get away from the tourist areas and we stay where people actually live, so that we can feel the rhythm of the community. That's such a great travel tip. I want to repeat that for people that are interested in traveling. I think that's a really important thing to try to. Uh, go to places that are not the touristy places and really get into the rhythm of how people live there. So uh, my husband often says the best part of traveling are the, is the people. And right. <laughs> so do you want to spend most of your time with tourists or do you want to spend most of your time yeah. with locals? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The university town that my husband and I live in also is a tourist destination. And, uh, so, you know, our daily, weekly, monthly schedule, we are always aware of when the university is having major football weekends, uh, move-in weekend, move-out weekend, graduation, alumni reunions, because we're going to stay away from that part of town, but we also know it will affect us in other parts of town. But then just, you know, uh, we just have so many other um, 
very heavily visited places around here. Our town is very often written up in magazines. Oh, weekend here, weekend there. Spend 48 hours, the perfect 48 hours. Go to this vineyard, whatever. And so we don't want that. So we just kind of, we're aware of what's going on and we stay away from those parts of town as necessary. Okay, so that's really interesting. It brings up another question that I, I didn't give you a chance to prepare for, but I'm really curious about how you think about it, given how much travel is these days about the Instagrammable places and the places that are popular. And we have so many people going to one place versus uh, these other places that get forgotten, so to speak. And, and I'm curious if you also have thoughts as a local. Uh, I, live near, uh, I live near Glacier National Park, which is a, a very widely visited, internationally visited national park. And so we also think about when are we going to go to the park? When's the best time for us as a local to visit places? Um, so I always, I'm thinking about how do locals interact with famous places while, um, and, and do we, you know, do we, do we get away from them and go to another famous place or do we just enjoy it in the off season? How have you dealt with that living in a place where it's so popular? Uh, I mean, these, these places are famous for a reason. So I live in Charlottesville, Virginia, the University of Virginia um, is, is huge. And, and my husband works for UVA. I used to work for UVA and my office was a block from the rotunda, the very famous domed building that Thomas Jefferson designed. And I'm not joking when I say it doesn't matter how famous it is. I'm absolutely in love with the architecture. And every day on my lunch break, I would go for a walk around the main historic part of the university and take photos and share them on Instagram. I had a daily rotunda photo that I would post on weekdays. So I still interact with those places. Um, Monticello, Thomas Jefferson's home, of course, is almost practically visible from my house on, on the mountain overlooking the town. And um, I was a guide there when I was an undergraduate student because my husband and I both went to UVA. And uh, you know, I love these places. Um, there are a lot of Instagrammable places around Charlottesville, but, you know, I live with them, I interact with them. I'm actually not tired of them. Um, but I'm also not going to go when I know that they're especially busy. So you are not going to find me anywhere near the university graduation weekend, move-in weekend, etc. Yeah, you, you know when to go. And <laughs> yes. That's yeah. good. That's good. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Nazare was a, a place that I we are thinking about as well. And in, in part because we fell in love with um, some of the big wave surfing that is around Nazare. I don't know if you watched the 100-foot wave documentary that's on, or on Netflix. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, actually, the first, I haven't seen the second series yet. The first part I watched on the flight back in 2022 after we'd seen Nazare for the first time. And I nearly cried. Um, and I watched all the episodes, boom, 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 because I had enough time on the flight. Because as they're showing the street scenes, I thought, oh my gosh, I walked right by that spot. Oh, I remember that particular house. Oh, I loved that viewpoint. And so it just really, it really pulled on my heartstrings. Yeah. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing the second season. I just haven't gotten around to oh, it yet. It, yeah, so good, so good. You're you're gonna you're gonna love it. Um, mm -hmm. What 
I know you've mentioned some things that you've liked about Portugal. Was there anything that you didn't like or anything that felt like a shock to you or um, anything that you would recommend people know before they go to Portugal? I'm very careful about not comparing countries and, and I do that as a traveler, but, and I think about that as a potential expat. I don't want to say, oh, this is better or this is worse here versus there. It's not a, you know, I hate Virginia, so I'm moving away to Portugal or Portugal's perfect. No place is perfect. Um, it's not, it's not Disney world. It's not perfectly sculpted and manicured, you know, things like that. So really the biggest thing that really I, I thought about every day that we were there, that every time we've been there, every day we've been there is um, here in Virginia, I'm very much a walker and a biker. So I don't drive very often. I have a car, but I don't drive very often. I really try to take care of what I need to do on my feet or on my bike. And in fact, I used to commute to work by electric bike. And, um, and I'll go a long, I'll, I'll do a lot to avoid having to drive because I just don't want to be part of the traffic. And so one of our criteria for this move is how bikeable and walkable a place yeah. is. Um, what's the public transportation situation? And Portuguese drivers are really something. <laughs> I've heard that. Um <laughs> And, and I'll tell you, a year ago, we rented e-bikes in Lisbon, and um, if you bike along the river, there are some really great separated paths, but if you get off those separated paths and you go deeper into the city, it can be stressful. And um, a few years ago, I was hit by an inattentive driver when I was out of my bike, and I'm fine. My bike took the brunt of it. But I ended up having to go through trauma therapy for it. And as we were biking in Lisbon last year, I actually um, started um, getting very anxious and stressed about it. And I we had to stop so that I could kind of go through the steps of what I learned in trauma therapy to calm myself down before we could um, before we could go further. So you know, and and drivers are terrible pretty much almost everywhere. I'm not saying that the Port Portuguese drivers are the worst, but what really gets me as um, uh, a walkability advocate and as someone who's also very aware of disability rights um, is the Portuguese park on the sidewalks. Oh, wow. Like, so that you have to walk into the street to pass the yeah. car. And um, the place we rented this past winter uh just there, there was this one person who parked their car on the sidewalk right where we needed to go into the building of the apartment we were renting. And it was just maddening. Now, luckily, it was a tiny little road and there wasn't a lot of traffic. But, I mean, come on. Think about people with strollers or people using crutches or, you know, using wheelchairs and any sort of mobility device. Just uh, be a little more considerate. Mm -hmm. But... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I that would be a shock. Yeah. That's that's my yeah. Big one. No, I've heard that actually about about Portuguese driving, and then I have other people who are like, "Oh, no big deal. We just you just get on the interstate there, whatever they call it, the A seven or the A twelve or something like that, and uh, and it's smooth and it's a told interstate and it's totally fine." And then I've heard the the opposite of just like this is a crazy place. If you take a taxi from the airport, just I mean I feel that way in New York City too. Uh, 
feel, you know, I feel like, oh my God, I got to hold on to the door. That's just more me in traffic. Uh, I, we have not taken any taxis in Portugal because we always just take the train yeah. from the airport. Um, gosh, that's interesting. And, and I would say Portuguese drivers, we are, my, my husband is very, he usually does most of the driving because I really hate driving. I, I just prefer to navigate. Um, he doesn't have any problems with driving in Portugal at all, not even in Lisbon. Um, but I can promise you after an experience that we had in Rome several years ago, and I wrote about this on Substack, um, he will never drive in Rome again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how to drive a manual car. So yeah. <laughs> you need yeah, to learn before you move. I know. And you would think I've tried to learn a few times. I almost ruined the clutch in a vehicle of ours trying to learn. So I'm also interested in living somewhere where there's really good public transportation. We've talked about this a lot about, well, will we have a car there? Will we not? And I, my preference would be to not have a car, but I know that then limits where we can move in other ways. So, yeah. Yeah, that was a huge thing for us. We would prefer to not have a car, but the Silver Coast, specifically on the coast, um, most of the towns are not easily connected to the train stations. Yeah. There's great bus service, so we could theoretically not have a car and take a bus everywhere, but it's not necessarily as convenient. Um, or we could live in a place like Porto and um, or Lisbon and not have a car at all, and we would not. But we've determined that both of those cities are far larger than what we're looking for. So I think we probably will have a car if when when I'm manifesting yeah. this when we move there. Um, but we are planning, I, I, I have two bikes. I have a regular bike and then I have an e-bike. I am absolutely planning to bring my e-bike to Portugal and use that for more local, like puttering around and getting here and there. And Can you fold it up and bring it on as luggage or are you planning to ship it? I could do either. You can transport a bike on the uh -huh. plane. I mean, you can get these special, actually, I know expats who moved something like four bikes. Wow with them. They got onto the airplane with them, their two kids, something like four bikes in bike boxes and like, I don't know, something like 10 or 11 suitcases and double bags. And that's how they moved. Um, I'm not going to get that far into the details right now, but it could go either way. I could ship it or I could take the wheels off and pack it up into a bike box, make sure it's well padded and you know, grab it when we land in Lisbon and so forth. I saw last year that they had uh, tax incentives for purchasing an e-bike and, of course, uh, an electric car. So I don't have one here, so I was thinking I'll, I'll probably wait. But I do want one as well. We'll have to ride our e-bikes around together at some point. Mm -hmm. I actually know another couple who were living in – the expats who were living in Lisbon in 2020. And um, – decided by e-bikes then they've since moved to the silver coast and they take their e-bikes everywhere they have literally done the camino from porto to into spain at least once that i know of i'm now very inspired by them and their e-bikes so the hills aren't as big of a challenge and um um and so yeah you could really do a lot with those hills 
um, Paniche looks like if it's not too windy, like it would be a great biking yeah. town. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited. Uh, I, I do love, I love yeah. to bike too. I, and my husband and yeah. I used to do a lot of mountain biking and, uh, yeah. and then he had an accident and sort of similar he didn't go through trauma therapy, but probably should have because he o- almost broke his, his arm and his collarbone and stuff from it. And just after that, I think he was like, I don't know if I really want to do a whole lot of mountain biking anymore, but I miss it. So I'm, yeah. I'm of an age where I just really like my spinal yeah. cord and you know all my <laughs> spinal discs. So I really don't think mountain biking is no. for me. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you like your collarbone. That seems to be the biggest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really like all my bones to be intact. Um, well, I I wanted to ask you also about sensitive skin and sensitivities <laughs> because <laughs> since we're talking about body parts, um, I know that has been part of your Substack is talking about what you did. I think it was in Africa that you realized you needed something. You were allergic to the mosquito uh, repellent. <laughs> in Africa. Yeah. So this is a whole post I wrote and I think it's called sensitive. If anyone wants to look in my archives and I do have very sensitive skin. And, um, so, you know, here and, and one of my, um, offspring does too. So we have to use unscented detergent. We don't use dryer sheets, uh, very careful about soaps, shampoos, um, and all of that. And the first time we went to Portugal, I was dealing with some issues and ended up having to go into a a pharmacia and ask in Portuguese, which I do not speak well, uh, about what I could put on my arms, like basically something like hydrocodone because I had developed a rash. But we have visited various countries in Africa. And the first time we went was South Africa. And I, luckily we were there only a week and I developed a pretty bad reaction to the organic um, bug spray that we had taken. And so for my 50th birthday, um, four years ago, my husband and I went to Namibia, Botswana, and we ended up at Vic Falls, and we were part of a group. And um, I was very careful, and I packed sufficient, you know, hydrocodone and uh, bug spray and sunblock and antihistamines and we were in the middle of nowhere in Namibia and I realized that I had basically like started to run out of things and I needed more and so I can't remember if this was when we were leaving Namibia and going into Botswana which country we were still in but we we stopped the the whole group stopped to stock up on supplies and I ran into a pharmacy and using um Google Translate (laughs) And um, a lot of charades explained and like showed this rash that was like kind of all over my body where I was spraying this bug spray that I, what I needed and they, and I don't know what they gave me, but it worked and it calmed down this full body, these full body hives I was having. Good times. Just, just love it. Totally. I've, yeah, the times that I've had hives, I can remember each and every one of them. And I'm like you, I've very sensitive skin. I can't stand in the grocery store walking by the the aisle of detergents even just the smell yeah bothers me yeah i'm allergic to scents yeah. too like smell yeah them. and so i take benadryl um cream with me everywhere i go like mm-hmm. a tube of mm-hmm. that um mm-hmm. cortisone cream doesn't seem to 
work as well for me. But now I've I've decided after reading your post, I'm like, oh, I better better get my medical kit together now. <laughs> yeah, Avino makes um, a particular one that has um, colloidal oatmeal in it. That's also very helpful. Um, having been to Portugal enough now, and then honestly, if I'm going to a city like Lisbon or I'm in London or I'm in Rome, I can go to a pharmacy and get what I need. But when you're in the middle of a national park in Namibia or in the back country of Botswana, it's a little more difficult. But so I always pack enough to get me through kind of like the first days or first week and with Portugal in particular, I now know like the type of soap I like and where to get it or the type of detergent that I like. So I'll pack enough yeah. to start off with. But then, you know, I can just go wherever. And pay. there's a pharmacy like on, you know, every corner. Um, so, well, this yeah. what, that's what brings me to you being a minimalist travel traveler. And I've been dying to know because I aspire to be even more of a minimalist travel traveler, some of your tips and tricks. And it sounds like in that area, you're not really a minimalist traveler in the sense of like you need, you're going to bring what you need to bring to take care of yourself. Um, But you also can, you figured out how to get the things that you need in at least some urban areas. What is it that you feel like are some of your essential principles for being a minimalist traveler? Do you just take one bag? Do you tell me more about your views on it? Um, The very best I've ever done, and this was so flipping amazing that I still like pat myself on the back, is the first time we went to Portugal, I took a very small bag, like not even like a full like school-sized L.L. Bean backpack, smaller. And I had two outfits. I had one on my body, and one in the bag. And um, because we were going to be in apartments, we knew we had washers. Um, I did have two pairs of shoes um, because I always like to have that backup pair and like, you know, your sneakers, like, I don't know, like get wet or something. Um, and I don't, I really pack a very small pouch for a first aid essentials. Like it's a really small, like think pencil, pencil pouch or smaller. Cause again, I'm going to be there. So I really, but you know, we were, that was 2019, September. We were in Portugal when it was warm. I didn't have to pack layers. So I literally had like two tops and two bottoms, two pairs of shoes. Like, I don't know, like three or four days worth of underwear essentials. Um, this last trip, so we were traveling for a month. Um, I still only did carry on. Um and I really like got it down to is it's just as it was colder, you know, it was damp, it was windy, so I needed like a windbreaker and a, a wool sweater, but not a bulky. So I'm very particular about the clothes that I pack. Um, and I don't pack rolling suitcases. I don't like get on the plane with like a rolling suitcase and a backpack. I, it just cracks me up when I see a travel article how to do carry on only. And they show like this person with a rolling suitcase and a backpack. And they've got something like four pairs of pants and six tops and four or five pairs of shoes. I'm like, people, are you kidding me? <laughs> I literally get on the plane with a backpack and maybe a tiny little crossbody purse that's just big enough for me to stash my passport and boarding pass, you know, if I have it in paper, you know, it's the app on my phone and just like a few little snacks or something in. Um, I really keep it minimal. 
I also need to say, for me as an able-bodied person, I can carry a backpack that weighs 10 pounds, and it's not a problem for my shoulders or my back. I can do yeah. that. So I'm not criticizing anyone who gets on an airplane with a rolling suitcase or who needs to carry more essentials. They have children. They have their CPAP machine. They have a large number of medications that they need. I'm not, I'm not trying to be ableist in any way. It's just, this is the way I prefer to travel because my goodness, you don't have to worry about losing anything because it's all right there. Packing takes five minutes. Yeah, one of my favorite posts of yours that I saved because I thought I'm gonna go buy this backpack someday is where you talked about which backpacks you've used and which ones have worked mm -hmm. well for you. And I, I was, I, I love that you said when you, get a duffel bag oftentimes or if you're trying to reach into a bag it's a lot harder to find the thing you end up having to take everything out and then repack it right yeah so you want to speak to that and and i have to say about backpacks my small i have three travel backpacks that i particularly like and the smallest is a 20 liter so it's about the size of a school backpack and it's it's typical in its construction it's a reach in and pull things out um my two favorite backpacks, one is a 30 liter um, and the other is a 40 liter. Um, and they both unzip flat like suitcases so that I can take my packing cubes, my compression cubes, and just really get stuff in there very efficiently, my shoe bags, um, and just really like, and then cinch it tight and all of that. So for me, that is what works best. My husband has this kind of old school, like backpacking backpack almost, where it's just like you load stuff in through the top and you know, and it's got some outs and, and I just look at him and think, how on earth can he find his stuff? But he does, he's just, but you know, I feel like he's like constantly rummaging and you know, pulling things out. And, and that, I just, that's not how I like yeah, to Yeah, I agree. My husband has the same thing. He's got an Osprey traditional backpack, but he likes, he likes to take it because we hike a lot. And so then it just, mm -hmm. it can work both as a suitcase and. As yeah. Osprey, it makes great backpacks. That's what my 30 liter is. And, um, I really like it a yeah. lot. Yeah. We, we actually, the random story, I met the owner of Osprey because we used to live in, uh, where they made Osprey before they moved overseas and, but they designed them all in Southwestern Colorado back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and I was a environmental public lands journalist at the time and somehow met him. And anyway, after that, then, uh, then I have this like connection to the brand. That brand and Patagonia are my, my two favorite brands mm -hmm. for. Yeah, very well made. And that's the thing is, and I have another blog post I wrote about this, it's called The Wrong Bag. And it's where one of my bags completely fell apart the first day of travel um, and, and mistakes that I had made. I fully take the responsibility for that one. So I'm very particular about, but I, I just, I know what I like as a traveler. I know how I want to be able to carry things, organize things. Do I want a water bottle pocket or not? So you know, that's what works for me. And I think it takes a lot of trial and error to find out what works best for a person. Does it make you laugh when you watch YouTube videos about how to pack and some of the suggestions that people have, like I watched one recently about a couple who was going to Thailand for a month and what he was taking. And it was literally like, he had 10 shirts and he, this, and he pulled up each shirt and he, he talked about each one and where it was made and everything. And I thought, this is definitely not a minimalist approach. And 
Yeah. No. And and that's the thing is, you know, you know, people stay in hotels and it's harder to do laundry yes. there. Um, and I, and I get yeah. that and nobody wants to go to a laundromat and you can pay to have the hotel, uh, do your laundry, but that's expensive. Yeah. Um, so generally what I pack are performance fabrics. So I really love Merino wool. Yeah. Um, you know, as a Jersey, um, the t-shirts are lightweight. They're, they're very soft. They're actually cooler to me in the summer than cotton, which gets very clammy when you get sweater, sweaty. So like wool wicks away the moisture. So for me, when I pack, I'm packing like Merino wool things. I'm packing some, um, rapid dry performance fabrics, uh, like a poly spandex or something like that. It kind of depends on where I'm going and what I need and, and, and all of that. Um, it's pretty rare for me to take jeans when I travel because jeans are bulky and they take a long time to dry. And, you know, in Portugal, we very often don't, ha- we usually don't have um, a dryer. So everything's got to be air dried. So that first trip to Portugal, when I had only two outfits, I had two rapid dry tops and two rapid dry bottoms and you know it was very warm and we'd come home and shower and um you know we and if things were really sweaty we'd throw like a quick load in and have everything hung up to dry in our on our terrace and then you know be ready to go the next day and i think what you pack is just as important and you have to be willing to do hand washing you just go in take your shower take the underwear and the socks in with you like get them all soapy you don't need anything special just bar soap or shampoo and wash it wring it out really well and hang it to dry. voila voila yes um 10 shirts i never would i ever yeah, no <laughs> i just had to laugh I was like... but you know again and and i've seen a lot of things like you should roll this or you should do this it's like a military thing where you like like wrap things up like a nesting doll or something, or maybe put all of your outfits for each day into different bags. You know, if that's what works for you and it makes you feel better about travel, via Gandias, go with God, enjoy, right? But I, I really just want like for four weeks, I had like, I don't know, maybe four or five tops and you know, two or three bottoms. Like it was just like, all very things that could layer and matched and um you know a lot of merino wool which layers well and you know packs very very small um i love compression um packing cubes they're just oh, that i have not tried i'm gonna have to try that and yeah yeah and i find that the larger packing cubes are like too big for me because i'm not packing that much so i like the kind of the smaller ones that you know you yeah. Put in, zip up, shut, shut the air. So here's my... Re- and that's what works for me. Here's my other question as a woman. And when I look back at my photographs, sometimes when I travel, I think, oh, I wish I would have dressed up a little bit more. Or I wish I would have, like, I, you know, I kind of look at the t-shirt and shorts thing and sometimes regret it. Like, should I have brought something a little bit more dressy? for the occasion. And I'm curious whether, do you bring a dress? Do you, do you ever, do you ever think about that? And, um, um, so I really, really love dresses. And I basically, when I say I pack like two tops and two bottoms, what I really meant is that I packed like two dresses and tunics and then like a 
pair of pants and a pair of leggings. Like I wear leggings, dresses pretty much every day all year. I love them. I have wool. I have like the more performance, like running dresses. They pack really small. They're great for travel. So, and I usually, my wardrobe is based around the color black, yeah. um, which is pretty obvious. So like when we went to Portugal that that first time and I only had two outfits. Everything was based around black, which not everybody likes. You, you pick the color you like. If it's red, great. If it's purple, great. Rainbow, perfect. But I always have at least one black dress. Um, and I I don't really fuss about it because I know that the average person seeing me out as a tourist is not noticing what I wear. It doesn't care what I'm wearing as long as I don't look sloppy. Um, I don't care. And I don't care if in my photos I look like I'm wearing the same thing every day because the people who see my photos on Instagram know how I pack. They know I wear a lot of black and they know that I don't pack yeah. very much. And I don't care. <laughs> I'm just not going to worry about it. And and also, I don't wear shorts yeah. and T-shirts. So that's not – it would be pretty rare for me to be that casual when traveling. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I – yeah, I – I think I need to look a little bit more into dresses because I don't usually, I don't wear dresses that often in Montana. We just don't have the weather for it. Uh, but. Oh, I mean, I don't, if it's, it can be 12 degrees outside and I'm going to have a dress with thick wool leggings underneath and a sweater over top. I mean, that's yes. just how I do it. And I think you want to think about being respectful of the culture that you're mm -hmm. in. Um, you know, you don't want to wear, um, sleeveless shirts and short shorts to go visit the Vatican yeah. museums. You were supposed or St. Pete, you know, you know, the, the churches, you were supposed to show a little more modesty. And I'm not saying you need to let go for the full covered up look, but I, I think one should be comfortable with traveling. And I see people who put together all these special travel outfits and I am not going to take something on a trip with me that is not tried and yeah. true. I'm not, going to make myself uncomfortable when I'm just going to get up and go walk five or six or seven, eight miles in a day, just like wandering and exploring or riding a bike. So you kind of have to find that balance of what's comfortable for you, what travels well, what doesn't take up too much space, but which isn't sloppy. Yeah. Like, you know, I, my husband really likes wearing like basketball shorts and, um, you know, college sports t-shirts here at home. You're not going to see those when we travel. Even he knows better yeah, than that. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I, I curate my husband's closet when we travel. I don't need to with mine. Occasionally I might see something. He'll, he, he will say, Jen, please look at this and tell me what you think. And I'll say, yeah, I don't think that shirt is the right choice because it doesn't fit in a way that I think, um, I don't think it fits yeah. well. Yeah. You know, um, I think those jeans are too baggy uh, and you know, too baggy takes up more space yeah. in the suitcase. Exactly. Go with the slim cut jeans, dude. Um, yeah. And, and there is a joke. Um, back when I had my first blog, I was talking about the first time we went to France and we took our children and my husband is known for wearing cargo shorts. He is a middle-aged white yeah. guy and I didn't want him to take cargo shorts to France, to right. Paris. Right. And so there was a joke on my blog at the time about France pants, Pete packed France pants. And, um, and like the third day we were there, it was warm and he put on shorts, but 
to this day, I can post a picture of Pete anywhere in the world. And if he's wearing jeans or long pants, people notice and they're like, oh my God, Fred's pants. Or, oh, cargo shorts, dad. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I can't believe you let him take cargo shorts to Portugal. Okay, look, he is a grown adult. He is in his 50s and I am not his right. mother. Right. We, we don't, the, the word let someone in a marriage. I'm like, no, those, those Right. Verbs, no, no, no. He can, he has his own agency. He can make his decisions. Yeah. Um, and he knows he needs to look a certain way when he gets on the airplane. He should look a certain way when he's walking around. And that does not include ratty t-shirts and basketball yeah. shorts. On the other hand, like me, he loves pockets. So he definitely wants to make sure he has the right pockets for flying. Like, where is he going to put his passport? You yeah. know, and so, you know, it's a balance. It is so much to think about. I'm in a final question. <laughs> it just gets better with yeah. practice. Well, I, 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 well, I have two more questions. But the other question I have is, do you have any travel heroes or travel writers, travel books that you recommend or you think about? I, I'm curious. Oh, gosh, yes. Um, so I love to read one of my favorite magazines that I've read for well over 20 years is outside magazine. So it's talking about like biking and mountain climbing and Everest and deep sea diving. I don't do all these things. Um, but the writers are just absolutely spectacular. And I will read the articles every month and think I have no interest in this subject. And by the time I have finished the article, I have passionate opinions. So I just, I just love that magazine. I love National Geographic. Also, you know, just beautifully edited and put together, of course, over a century of uh, articles to read through. So I find those authors to just be so incredible, and I'm always in awe of how they write. Um, But in terms of books, and I just read a lot of travel memoirs or even fiction that will take me in other places, and I love it now. I just finished reading this thriller called Two Nights in Lisbon. And of course, having been to Lisbon recently in in enough times, as the author was describing the action of this uh, fictional story, I was like, oh, I know exactly where they are. This is so exciting. I can picture it. Specific authors, though, the actor Andrew McCarthy is an incredible travel writer. Um, He came out with a book about, I don't know, 10 years ago called The Longest Mm -hmm. Way Home that I've read. I pick it up and reread it every few years because it's a collection of essays and I just find his writing very interesting, very compelling. Um, Bill Bryson, of course, is famous for his book, A Walk in the Woods and In a Sunburnt Country. There is a paragraph in A a Walk in the Woods that even if I think about I start laughing because it's just so funny to me. And every time I come up on that paragraph in that book, I start laughing until tears are rolling down my face. And I just love those books. And of course, Francis Mays's books about Tuscany. I mean, I am not moving to Italy and buying a Tuscan villa and rebuilding it, but oh my goodness, just even her descriptions of food and the meals and the olive harvest and the pine nut harvest and the vegetable garden. Holy heck. Yeah, there's so much inspiration there. Just, mm, yeah. And I'm reading a book now called Flanus which is a, a woman writing about women walking in different cities of the world. And it is just dreamy. Oh. It includes Virginia Woolf and um, just oh, it's Paris and London and Tokyo and New York. And oh my gosh, it's just so good. Oh. I'm not finished with it yet. I can't wait to read some of those. So yes. I can't. And we just have just ridiculous numbers of books that are someone's memoir about moving to a Pacific Island or 
taking this incredible motorcycle trip across Africa. So I, my husband and I are always reading books about different parts of the world or exploring our own country. I mean, gosh, even my own state has so many amazing, beautiful places. A career coach once told me that you can tell what people are truly passionate about, like what their authentic self is by looking at their book collection. And Yes. <laughs> we have a very large nonfiction section and uh, not so much travel guides necessarily, but yeah, some travel guides, an unbelievable number of maps, yeah. just atlases, paper maps, folding maps, hanging maps. Yeah. Uh, language pocket size guides. I'm just going to take this with me. This was like really before Google Translate or DL, yeah. um, but just like studying phrases so that I don't sound like a total yeah. idiot in Paris. <laughs> Oh, this has been so fun, Jen. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I love talking about travel. And you and I need to have some conversations about oh. e-bikes and Portugal. Oh, yeah, I definitely. And packing, packing. I often get a phone call. Hey, can you help me pack my suitcase? And yeah, I'll be oh, over in 30 awesome. minutes. I would love that. <laughs> I wish I wish we were that close. Um, tell. Oh, I, we could do it okay, over Zoom. Good. Um, let's, I want people to know where to find you. And I want to tell people, everyone, subscribe to Jen's Substack newsletter. Go follow her on Instagram. Tell us where you where you can be found and how to how to follow your writing. So yes, I am on Substack and it's a free subscription. Um, I'm, you know, some people charge a subscription. I know you do. That's not something I feel like getting into. And I just want to make uh, my stories available. So my Substack Substack excuse me Substack is free. Um, the link to my Instagram feed is also in my profile. Um, it's Jen Quotidian and I talk about like daily stuff, but there's a lot of travel stuff in there. Um, if someone is, sees a post about, I don't know, Portugal or whatever, I can actually point you to the hashtags that I use to find like everything I wrote about, uh, our safari through Botswana and Namibia or our trips to Port Portugal. People can DM me. I'm always happy to share thoughts, advice. Oh, thank you. I may not know the best restaurant, but I will absolutely tell you, oh, you should walk down the street and see this particular oh, mural. Oh, that is worth gold. Definitely. I love I love looking at murals and love unique streets. So um, just for everybody's information, you can find her at jensworld.substack.com if you're looking um, for that. And then what's your Instagram handle? Jen? Jen Quotidian. Jen Quotidian. Oh, I knew you were a word. I was going to bring up some different word nerds or words for word nerds, like supercilious or, you know, Quotidian would be another one. one. Yes. Yeah. My various, I'm writing a post, uh, a Substack post about walking and I'm thinking of all of the synonyms for walking. So one can be a flaneur or peregrinations or perambulations or meandering or, and uh, yeah, I love words. I mean, I'm, I'm an editor and proofreader by profession. So yeah. I, I have feelings about commas and words and mm, all that. Me too. Me too. As a, <laughs> as an English major, definitely. And a, and a former journalist. So thanks everyone for listening. I'm going to end uh, this conversation, although Jen and I are probably going to talk a, a bit more offline and really appreciate everybody listening. Please feel free to subscribe here and to subscribe over at JanelleHolden.substack.com. Thank you. Thank you.